baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. It's about time that we're finally checking for fair payment on the light rail. It's Jason. Welcome to Drive Time 408. Uh, you know, safety and security on our public transit has been a major issue post-COVID. There are a number of reasons. Uh, the most obvious reason is that the downtown central business district as a hub of activity has not been what it once was. And so many people, if you're only going to work a couple days a week, maybe you're going to drive in and pay to park a couple days instead of hopping on the bus or hopping on the light rail. But even even the the biggest defenders of the city, the people saying that, well, crime, you know, people are weaponizing crime for political gain. It's not really as bad as people make it sound. Everyone acknowledges that. Low level crime, especially, has been an issue on light rail and by low level crime, what am I talking about? Open drug use. I mean, it's not good, right? It's not good. But do you want to ride the train if you see somebody shooting up on the train? No, you don't. And transit officials understand this is a problem. There have been calls to wall off our light rail stations. Gates, uh, turnstiles, controlled access. Now, because our light rail is built at street level in most spots, you'd have to figure out some way to, like, actually have a gate on the track. Now, imagine how challenging this would be to actually execute in the winter, especially as temperatures turn cold. You want, like, a garage door-style gate operating Like when the train leaves the gate, I mean, come on. Like to me, it's preposterous. The number one thing you can do to improve safety is by having more law enforcement or community service, ticket checkers, more people with with put them in a uniform, have it say Metro Transit, have a big thing that says fair enforcement. That is the biggest thing you can do to improve safety. I firmly believe that. And the fact that it took this long is a little outrageous, I think. But I'm glad it's here. I'm glad increased enforcement is happening. In fact, it's something we talked about with Bill Lindicky, who is on this show. He wrote a piece for MinPost a couple weeks ago talking about why putting turnstiles at light rail stations is a stupid idea. And so I'm waiting for the day as someone who rides the train you know, all the time. I'm waiting for the day when they finally start sending people in to check fares again. And it, they say that it's coming uh, maybe in January, but we'll find out soon. 
So new new uh, Metro Transit Police Chief, and this effort is starting now. Now, I don't even know that you need to be like that aggressive about writing people's citations. I think the mere fact that you have someone out there checking, well, I can't wait to hear how it goes because I feel like if they have enough people out there checking, it is going to almost entirely solve the issue of the freeloaders on the train who are there to do drugs, who are there as a replacement for a homeless shelter, uh, or who are there to cause trouble. I I really believe having someone come around it, and, and I don't think that troublemakers are just going to start, like, buying a ticket. Seems highly no, they'll un- see the uniforms and they just won't get on. And the they train. just won't get on the train. Yeah. Now, is this going to solve drug use? No, like drug, it'll move somewhere else. Fine, fine. We cannot afford to have our trains, which we've spent billions of dollars on this light rail system. We cannot afford to have it become an open air, rolling, drug using and abusing homeless shelter. We can't. We also need to be addressing those other issues, right? And all this stuff is expensive. No one really wants to be paying for it, right? You'd rather have money going to schools or improved roads or all sorts of other stuff. Uh, But there's pain out there. There are people hurting. There are people intentionally who are not hurting, who are just intentionally taking advantage of a vacuum. So you have all of that going on, and and, and we have to deal with those things. But the easiest thing that we can deal with right now is make people pay, show that we care enough about our, our transit system, and we care enough about the paying customers and the people who are not there to cause trouble, uh, to be out there enforcing it, I think it's really a good thing. It's really a good thing. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. My, my hope and concern, my only concern with this is, when you have CSOs doing this job instead of licensed officers, yep. What happens when there's a confrontation? Yep. Not that it's going to happen a lot, right? But it will. But it wouldn't take a whole lot for that to escalate and become a real problem. So, what are the protocols? What kind of you know safety communication is there? You know, in terms of if somebody becomes aggressive, are they told to back off and call? And that's when they call the law enforcement to show up, right? How does that all work? And, and Metro Transit has said that all of these community service officers uh, are being trained and presumably yeah. before deployed uh, to respond to mental health issues, de-escalation, first aid, naloxone administration, and CPR. And that's you know that's your hope is because that that would be a tough job. I, I would th- I would think that would be a very difficult job to recruit people people to. It has you'd, been right. You'd have to pay it it pretty darn well to say here go stand on this train. And ask people if they're paying, and if they're not paying, then you have to get them off the train. 
It's tough, right? Very tough. Uh, citations for fare evasion have barely been issued. So in 2019, Metro Transit wrote 1,300. In 2020, they wrote 573. In 2021, they wrote 10. And of the ones that are being issued, how many of those are being? I mean, like very, very minuscule number have actually been paid. 2.6% are paid. So it's... Because people who are not paying, generally speaking, don't, yeah, they're, they either don't have the money to pay the citation or, or there's no consequence to, to there's not There's no paying. consequence. Now this, the, the, uh, penalties do escalate, but these are administrative citations. So they yeah. don't uh, show up on your criminal background report, which is good. Which they is fine. Shouldn't. Yeah. No, they shouldn't. Like, we, we, you know, some of the law and order crowd, like, can calm down about, like, well, you need to throw these people at, like, no. give me a break. Yeah, no. But I do think the mere act of having enforcement out there is going to serve as a very significant deterrent. The evidence in every other transit system in the country, which has been dealing with all these same things we have. And, and we know why we haven't had law enforcement out enforcing this over the last two years. It's because of Derek Chauvin. This is why. So the reason is because the fear that when you have low-level interactions with law enforcement that it could escalate, something could go haywire, and you could have trouble. And so I'm proud of Metro Transit for saying we know that that is a risk, and we're going to try to do it with civilian community service officers, and hopefully that'll make a difference. Hopefully it will. Now, will it? We don't know. We don't know. No, It might I mean, be a total failure, and then we got to figure something else out, right? I mean, the other way, I mean, you're right in the sense that presence is going to be a deterrent to start with. To start. Just having them there. I think so. Right? The only way it really fails is if you can't have, you know, keep enough people in that job to be on the train to be a consistent That's right. presence. Because presence isn't enough. It's got to be consistent, right? Otherwise, you know, folks will figure out when the CSOs are there and when they're not. And then they'll just show up when the CSOs aren't there. But if you don't have the staffing levels to be able to have a consistent presence, then the presence doesn't really matter. It's an issue. It is an issue, right? Like, there's not much we can do to solve the staffing issue right now. You're not going to suddenly, I mean, unless you're going to pay people $90,000 a year to be a community service officer. Maybe that would make a difference. Okay. Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe not. Well, you know, in, in there's this a point. Job market, I mean, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, one other thing I want to talk about before we take a break. This afternoon, news broke that the medical cannabis director for the state of Minnesota resigned. Star Tribune reporting that uh, Chris uh, Tolkis, who is the director of the state office of medical cannabis. Uh, She's out taking a job at the city of Minneapolis as the director of uh, health operations. Uh, We still haven't hired someone to run the Office of Cannabis Management. Remember when the governor picked this Erin Dupree, who it turned out that she uh, had a hemp store where she was selling (laughs) illegal products at, allegedly? Uh, Charlene Briner, who is awesome, she's a state government veteran, 
she I first met her when she was working for the Department of Education. She's just an awesome human being. She is leading the Office of Cannabis Management as an interim basis. Is there, but what's going on? Like no one wants to work for the state in the weed business? Like what's what's happening? Now, the city job is a new job, um, but kind of weird, isn't it? Like, the fact that we can't attract a good candidate for the big cannabis job and going to work for the city of Minneapolis is more attractive than, now, I, I'm guessing director of health operations is a bigger job them running medical weed, especially as you look into kind of recreational, probably swallowing up some of the uh, some of the people who are doing medicinal marijuana. But might be an extra zero on that paycheck. Do you think? No. Oh, time to time to uh, time to send in those resumes, I guess. Please, if you are applying for one of the, these jobs, though, do not have a track record of posting uh, illegal products on your social media pages. So let's let's not do that. Dan Cook spent a weekend kind of Aaron Rodgers style, sort of. Yeah, that's what that's how I'm teasing it. Dan will correct that false statement from me when we come back here on CCO. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.